Thank you, Lord. It's a good morning. I'm, I, was in, I was enjoying myself during worship. I hope you guys were as well. Uh, I, Pam said it. It was on the video. One more time, though. Uh, if you can help deliver packages this week, we still need some volunteers. Uh, how many of you know many hands make light work? That's, that really is a an, an common sense saying. Well, the more people that we have partner with us, the more that we can have less boxes to deliver so you get more time with people. That's, that's what this is all about, people. So if, if you're able to deliver this Friday or Saturday coming up, Elliot is the guy in the back there with the very dapper pink bandana on. I think it's pink. I can't tell because of the lighting, but it might be. So see Elliot after service. If you're interested in volunteering, it's going to be awesome. Uh, just a couple things. Last time we went out, it was so cool. People are happy to see you when you're bringing them stuff. Come on. This, this is not like you, you think about the door-to-door people or the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses that go out and people slam the door in their face or I don't want what you're selling, you're a salesman. When you are bringing stuff to people to give them, to bless them, they open their door, they're happy to see you. And uh, I went out with Rich last time. We got to pray for a couple ladies. They invite us into their house. They just start telling us their life story. This is what's going on. This is how hard it's been. This is what we need. This is what we're excited about. Whatever's in their heart, you get to hear that. You get to share that with them. Uh, we went to one house where we're pulling up to the driveway and, and Rich says, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just seeing fire. Like, I, I feel like God's telling me there's going to be fire here at this place we're going to. And we're like, okay, that sounds pretty cool. God, what are you wanting to do with that? The girl opens the door and it's this, uh, what was she like 14 year old daughter, bright red hair, just as red as could be. And, and we're like, Ah, God, I see what you're doing. And so we get in. The, mom, the mom's telling us the story of their four kids. She's got a homeschooling because of COVID. Two of them are special needs. And this daughter's standing there listening, and Rich just looks at her. And, and because he'd always been praying, he felt like God was speaking about the fire, and that's why we were there. He looks at this girl and says, I feel like God's just telling me, do you have problems? What was it, with self-esteem, or do you hurt yourself, or something? There, there was something about, have you been wounded? And she just breaks down crying. And, and in that moment, is God really showed her, I see you and I love you. And I sent people here just for you to minister to you. That's the kind of thing that happens when we get outside of ourselves and we're willing to put ourselves out there to say, hey, I am here just to be Jesus and love you. So if you want to volunteer, see Elliot after service. If you haven't already, uh, he's going to put the schedule out this week of who people are going to deliver to. So... Thanks for being here the third week in a row that I'm talking about not being offended. I, you don't know how much I appreciate that you come back every week, when, even with some of the things that we're talking about. Uh, we've been doing this uh, series called Unoffendable, and out of all the things that I've seen people protesting recently, I've seen a couple that I really felt like I could get behind. And uh, if you go ahead and put that first picture up there. How many of you have seen that sign? End road work. I said, yes, I'm for that. But no matter how many of those signs I see, every spring and every fall, they keep tearing up the roads and they keep doing things. That may have been a little bit of a dad joke there. I'm not entirely positive. Uh, how about this? Here's a guy that I feel like this protest worked. Uh, he says, ban candy crush invites. I, somehow it must have worked because I, I've started getting less and less of people saying, hey, come play this game or download this game with me. And then uh, I saw this person that... Uh, I don't know. This is everybody right now. I'm so angry. I made a sign. 
Doesn't that seem like that's what's going on in the world right now? We've been doing this series because there's so many people walking around the world today. They're just continually upset, insulted, and offended and outraged about things. And we weren't created to be that way. That's not who we're meant to be. That's not how humans were made in God's image to carry that offense and that anger around all the time. There is freedom and joy that comes from letting go of offenses you will find that you go through life a much happier person if you choose not to be offended. It is hard to share or receive good news when we are offended at people. And I I said I needed to tell a couple stories. So I read this book. I I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. This is what it looks like. I brought it in person. And I hate to say this, but I am so well acquainted with being offended that I've used like two lines out of this book for this series, and the rest of it just is my personal experience. So I I was like, you know, Pam, I really need to share some stories from the actual book. And uh, this it actually made me think of that. When I said it's hard to share or receive good news when we're offended, uh, there was a story in this book. If you can't read, uh, Brant Hansen is the name of the guy that wrote this. It's called Unoffendable. He went to Indonesia after they had a tsunami. I think it was 2018-ish. They had a devastating disaster that happened in their country. If you go put up that sign. Uh, that, this is close to what it looked like where he went. It was a fishing village that had just been decimated by this tsunami. And there were people living in tents uh, trying to figure out where am I going to get food for my family? Can I even find my family? I don't know what's going on. And he went with this, uh, some friends that were going to do relief. And as soon as he got there, he says in the book that he, got, he and his friends got threatened by some local Muslims. They said, we hate you. We're going to kill you if you stay here. And he said, you know, I had to make a decision in that moment of, I've got a wife, kids, family, I've got things to do at home, I should just leave. I could choose that, or I can stay and be Jesus to these people. And so they stayed, they gave away food and supplies, Uh, they even rode around in trucks with the local people, picking up dead bodies, and and just being part of the cleanup crew that, that had to take care of that. And they stayed in tents, right next to the villagers. They didn't leave and go back to the hotel every night. They didn't go back to their comfort. They stayed right there on the ground in the village with the tents, uh, with the people. And the people were watching them, and they said, Why are you here? You're our enemies. That was how they viewed them. They said, Why are you here with us in this village? You're our enemies. And, and as I read that in the story, I thought, Man, enemies are people that are, are continually offended at each other. That's, that's really what the root of making an enemy is. They're, they're continually offended at each other. Uh, the Hatfields and the McCoys, if you're old enough to remember that, there was, a, there was a huge feud that went on in the United States for decades and generations. It got to the point where they didn't even know why the families were upset at each other. They just knew, you're my enemy. I'm supposed to hate you because of that last name you have. That's what was going on. The people in this village, they said, why are you here? You're our enemies. And uh, the local imam Uh, the guy that led the the Muslim congregation there, he knew that they had been threatened. He knew that he didn't want them there either, that he was suspicious of their motives. We don't want that Christian influence in this village. And he watched them as they continued to serve, as they continued to give away the food. And eventually, he saw that they were different. And he invited them to his house for dinner. So imagine this, the guy whose people threatened you, we're going to cut your throats, we want to kill you, you're there serving them. And the guy says, come to my house for dinner. He says, I've seen that you're different. He said, most relief organizations, they would drive by in their truck and throw a box of supplies off the back of the truck, take a picture of them doing their good works, and then they would leave. 
He says, but you came and you stayed and you lived with us and you, you helped us. And so as they're sitting there eating this meal, the imam pulls out a picture of his 12-year-old son and begins to show it to them and says, I haven't seen my son since the tsunami hit. Can you please look for him? And as they're eating dinner, not only does he have this picture of his son and he's asking for help from people that he viewed as his enemies, people that he viewed as, hey, I want to kill you. I don't even want you here. I'm suspicious of you. Not only did he say, could you please help me find my 12-year-old son? He says, here are my other children. Do you think you could take them back with you to the United States and raise them as your own? How does that happen? That you go in, in the course of time from a place of, I'm so angry, I'm suspicious, I want to kill you, you're my enemy, to a place of, will you take my children and raise them as your own because they need what you have in their lives? And I will tell you that transformation comes from seeing the love of Jesus in action, but we don't get to the point of seeing the love of Jesus in action until we decide not to be offended and not to be enemies, and not to be suspicious of people that are different with us than us. It comes from a place of being willing to let go of our offenses and see people the way that Jesus made them. And I will tell you, offense is not just a non-Christian problem. All these things that we've been seeing in the world, the news articles of people getting upset, even in Christian circles, there are some people, you'll, you'll never act holy enough for them. You'll, you'll never be woke enough for some people. You'll never be conservative enough for some. You'll never be liberal enough for other people in the church. You'll never be traditional enough. You'll never be cutting edge enough. Uh, speaking of cutting edge, everybody give Bill Malenka a hand for starting the paint job on the wall. That looks great, Bill. <laughs> Even in the church, there's things that we get upset and offended about, and we have to be willing to let go of our offenses if we want to move forward, if we want to go forward with a healthy life, with relationships that are whole. Uh, here's a couple quotes that I wanted to give you. One, uh, God just dropped this in my heart this week as I was praying about being unoffendable, and he said, don't ask for grace that you aren't willing to give. So I don't know if that was just a for me in my prayer time that Jesus spoke that to me or if that resonates with anybody else in the room. But it really struck me. We ask people to cover a lot of our stuff. Hey, you, I'm sorry I did that. You should just forgive me. That's the way I am. That's what I think. Deal with it. But then we won't extend that to the very people that are offending us that ask, will you please forgive me? Okay, thank you for that quote, Lord Jesus. I will, I will crochet that on a pillow and put it on my couch so I remember to see it every day. Uh, this other one I saw, it's, it said, Forgive all who have offended you, not for them, but for yourself. Because that's really what happens, is you're not, you're not hurting anybody else by holding on to your offense. In fact, there's, there's people that you might be offended with, they don't even know your name. They don't care that you're offended, but it's hurting you. And when we exercise that forgiveness, it does something in our heart. Uh, in fact, the Bible talks about this a little bit in Proverbs 12, verse 16. It says, if you shrug off an insult and refuse to take offense, you demonstrate discretion indeed. But, a, but the fool has a short fuse and will immediately let you know when he's offended. Ooh, please, when we read that verse, don't immediately think, wow, I know a bunch of fools. 
Because I'll be honest, that's where my mind goes. I'm always, and this is part of dealing with the offenses in our heart. I'm always ready to point the finger and say, ah, I know exactly who that verse is talking about. Those fools that are always upset and offended. And it says, when we shrug off an insult, when we choose not to be offended, it actually makes us look more like someone who follows God. That actually knows Jesus, that, that we choose not to be offended. It looks like him when we do those things. But foolish people will let you know right away what's offended them. Oh, that's a good verse also, Jesus. Thank you for that. Come on. This verse is true. Whether you're in person, whether you're on the phone, whether you're on social media, whether you're watching TV, whether you're behind the wheel in a parking lot, which I hate to admit to you that I continue to struggle with. We were at the store yesterday and something happened in a parking lot in a vehicle with this lady that couldn't drive. And... And Pam looked at me and said, you're offended, aren't you? You're upset at that lady for driving. You're not very pleasant to be around right now. Kind of a paraphrase of what she said to me. (laughs) But that was the gist of it. I was being a jerk because I was choosing offense. And I was not fun to be around at that moment. And if we're constantly offended, hurt, or angry, we need to look here first. Well, point to yourself. (laughs) Don't... (laughs) I'm not saying look at Pastor Chris first and say, aha, that's the root of all my offenses. Oh, The point is that verse works anywhere we go. If we choose to not be offended, we look more like Jesus. And if we hold on to offenses and we let people know about it, we're being foolish. And we need to let go of those things. So uh, I want to end up this morning at one of the most famous stories that Jesus told about somebody being offended. But to get there, I want to tell you a little backstory first. At the end of Luke 14, if you're wanting to know what you need to read this week or go back and look at it later, Luke 14, 15, 16-ish is where I'm going to be this morning. In the end of Luke 14, Jesus had just got done telling a crowd that you need to count the cost if you want to follow me. And what was he saying by that? He's saying you may have to do things that you don't like to to do things that you don't want to do. You may need to leave comfortable places to do what I want you to do. That's what Jesus is essentially saying when he says count the cost. You may have to make time in your schedule for people that you don't want to be around. He said count the cost of what it means to follow me. And and believe it or not, some people got offended at Jesus saying this to them. Can you imagine that? People being upset with Jesus. He's such a nice guy, the fisherman, the carpenter from Galilee. He was constantly making people upset. And they got offended at him telling them to count the cost. This is what it looked like in Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. It says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Are you picturing this with me? Instead of being excited that that's who's coming to hear me teach. Oh man, this is great. Jesus is teaching and we got a bunch of notorious sinners to come hear what he had to say. Instead of being excited about this, maybe this will change their lives. They got mad at Jesus. How can you let these people into our meetings? Oh... There are a bunch of things again that just popped into my head that how can you let those people come in and sit where I am listening to you? Don't you know they're unclean? Don't you know what they do in their lives? And they got upset at Jesus. And sometimes Jesus includes people that we wouldn't choose to hang out with. 
Jesus, Jesus includes people that aren't on our contact list. If we pull out our phone, those, those, I, I don't even know how to get a hold of those kind of people. And Jesus brings them right into the middle of what he's doing. Here's, here's another quote from the Unoffendable book. He said, Refusing to be alienated and put off by the sin of others is what allows me to be Christ-like. There are some things that people are doing that are offensive. But when I choose to just love people and overlook some of those things because I value them, it helps me to be more like Jesus. There, if, who are the notorious sinners in your mind? When, when we read a description like that in Scripture, are there people that pop into your head like, oh, notorious sinners, I know exactly who he's talking about. I know some of those people. Those are the very people that were often in the crowds around Jesus. And if those groups don't feel comfortable being around us, maybe we have a ways to go in our being Christ-like. Jesus never minced words about what God wants from us. But maybe, just maybe, he loved people so well that they kept coming around to hear it. And I think Jesus did this well. We need to lead with love, not our offense. If, if we lead with, oh, you sinner, don't you know what you're doing is ungodly, that's vile, oh, God would, God's probably turning his back on you or vomiting right now because of what you're doing. Come on, I don't know what it is. Christians say some crazy things to people sometimes. We, they hold up some crazy signs at protests. But maybe, just maybe, we should lead with love first. And I, I truly believe that if people know that you love them, they'll hear whatever else you have to say. Jesus said a lot of hard things to people, but they knew that he loved them and they kept coming around. The catch for us is that we really have to love people. People recognize insincerity from a mile away. They know like, oh, you're, you're just trying to do this because you want something or you're checking off your religious duty. You, you don't really care about it. We have to really love people. That's what attracts them to us. Even notorious sinners have real and interesting lives. They are people that Jesus made. And we have to lead with love. Jesus hung out with those people. Come on, and I, I'm not saying those people to be offensive. I'm saying fill in the blank with whatever group you want to fill it in with or with whatever person's coming to your mind. Jesus hung out with them because he saw something in them that no one else could, especially the Pharisees, the religious people, the teachers of the law, the ones that should have known better. He hung out with the sinners because he saw something in them that they couldn't. This is someone that my father made. This is someone just like you. They were fearfully and wonderfully made. They were knit together in the womb. God saw them in the secret place. This is a person that has value. No matter what they're doing, what's going on in their life, God made them. And I think Jesus saw that in people. Religiosity had really blinded the Pharisees to the beauty that Jesus saw in the people that his father made. How often do we go out of our way to genuinely welcome or listen to even people that we don't agree with. And when I say listen, I don't mean listen while you're formulating your response. Aren't we good at that? Like you, you start talking several times while they're still talking because I've already, I know what I'm going to say right here. How about we actually listen to people first and just love them? Here's, I got one more story from the Unoffendable book. Uh, Brant Hansen, he had a friend named Michael. 
Michael bought a building in a large city that had a university there. It was a very liberal place, uh, not just in politics, but in lifestyle uh, and the things they were doing. And and this guy bought a building right in the middle of town and publicized, I'm going to open a Christian coffee house. And I'm actually going to have some evangelical speakers and some Christian music coming. And this got a lot of publicity. And the, the deal, though, was the building that he bought housed an art show once a year that was... It included some art that I think probably a bunch of us in this room would be offended by. You know where I mean by that, right? And so this guy bought this building, and he's publicly saying, hey, this is going to be a Christian venue. And so the people that organize this art show every year, they came to meet with Michael, and they said, oh, you know, I guess we're going to start looking for another venue to have our show because, you know, we saw in the news that you bought the building, and it's going to be a Christian place. And, and I feel like a bunch of the Christians even wanted him to say, yes, you're right, you'll have to find another place to be. Do you know what this guy did? Unless you read the book, you don't, so you're waiting. Yeah, That was a good cue. Andrea actually said, what? Tell us. He told the guy, not, not only do you not have to find another place to hold your show this year, I'm going to pay for the catering and host you guys. And so they had this show that... There were some things there that were offensive. There were some things there that were beautiful. But Michael stood by the door in a coat and tails and had plates of hors d'oeuvres and held the door for people and just welcomed them and let them know how happy he was to see them. And he said, he he told Brant, he says, I went to just love people and talk about how good our father is because I feel like deep down people are really longing to know that there's a God that's like that. How often do we go out of our way to genuinely welcome and listen to people that are different than us, that we don't agree with, even in their lifestyles? Back to our story in the Bible. Uh, So they were so offended. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, how could you let those people in the crowd, Jesus? That makes us upset. That makes us not want to come back. That makes us not want to be around you. Jesus, I almost pictured Jesus saying, well, good. (laughs) There's, There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. So because they were offended by who he was hanging out with, Jesus starts to tell them stories about lost things. Isn't Jesus so cool? Like places that you would never connect to go in your brain. You're like, Jesus, just, hey, I'm going to tell you some stories about lost things. As if to say, remember the point of it all. I think that's what Jesus was trying to say to them. It was never about staying away from those offensive people. It was never about having an exclusive relationship, just me and God, or keeping those rules. It was about being a light to the nations and reaching lost people. That's what Jesus was telling them to remember. It's about this. And he starts to tell them a story about a lost sheep. And then he tells them about a lost coin. Uh, Sheep, not very smart, right? Coins, inanimate objects that don't even know they're lost, right? And Jesus is telling this story. He uses those stories to tell them that when people who offend us, that are different than us, that are sinners, when they encounter a loving father, there's cause for great rejoicing. That was the point of Jesus telling those stories to them. And I, I can imagine the Pharisees listening and just being like, oh, those poor lost things. They didn't know any better. The dumb sheep, the dumb coin. What's this got to do with those crooked tax collectors and those notorious sinners? Like they're not just a coin or a sheep, they should know better. Can you picture them saying this in their minds? And because it's the way Jesus is and the way he rolls, he went on to tell them another story. And uh, there's a third story in this chapter. Uh, 
For those of you that are biblical, a little bit nerdy or scholarly, I think Jesus is saying, here's the Trinity in action. The Son is the good shepherd that goes after the sheep. The Holy Spirit illuminates things in our lives, and we find the lost coin, and then he starts to tell a story about a good, good father. And it says in Luke 15, 11, uh, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Just in case he, they didn't get it yet, he says, I've got another story for you. And you know this story. Some of you are very familiar with it. Uh, there's two sons that go to see their father. And the youngest son says, hey, I want my share of all your stuff now. Can you imagine that if your kids came to you and said, can I have my stuff that you own right now? I'm not waiting for you to die. I want it right now. We can't imagine that, but in Jewish culture, this was actually common. You could go ask for your inheritance in advance of your parents passing away. And the father looks at the son and he says, okay, I'll do it. This is the custom. I will divide my estate right now and I will give you your half of the inheritance. And I will tell you, the older brother didn't take this well. I think right at that moment, that's when the seeds of offense were planted in his life. We could use that money to make more money. What are you going to do? You're going to leave me holding the bag, aren't you? I'm going to have to do all the work around here because you're going to take that money and go, aren't you? Can you just see the older brother thinking these thoughts? But the father did what the son asked him. And this is what happened, Luke 15, 13. It says, a few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. Not just some of the money, all of it. Everything that the father had given him, he wasted it. This was premeditated. Can I tell you that? This, this was not a, a sheep wandering off because he didn't know any better. This was not a coin falling under the bed or between the couch cushions. This was somebody that knew what they were doing, and they spent all of the money on themselves on selfish and wild and sinful living. This was someone that was raised in the same household as the older brother and should have known better. Things didn't work out so well for the younger son. If you know the story, uh, he blew through all his money hate to say that I've met people like that. They've had the same experience where money just goes through their fingers like water. But he blew through all his money. All his friends left him. And then a pandemic broke out. All right. There was a famine that happened in the whole land. And he didn't have any more money. So he took a job feeding pigs. Talk about further offense to the Pharisees living, listening or adding insult to injury. They're like, you pig toucher. Like, how could this kid is a sinner and then some? He blew all the money on wild living and then he's touching unclean pigs. But the younger son, he's there in the pig pen. He comes to his senses, the Bible says. If, you, if you've got friends or family members that are living far from Jesus and they're acting like prodigals, that's a good prayer to pray for them. Lord, let them have a come to their senses moment. God, whatever, whatever it takes, let them have a moment where they wake up and realize it's always better in Father's house. There's, there's a place where I was loved, where I have relationships. There's people that care. It's always better in Father's house. So he decides to go home and grovel to his dad. If you read through the story, he actually rehearses a speech. He says, I'm going to go home and tell my dad, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm not even worthy to be called your son. That's some serious groveling going on there. And I'm not, I'm not a perfect dad. I kind of feel like I'd like that. If you, if you blew through half of my money, you better come and grovel a little bit. But he's on his way home, and 
the father sees him. Not only does the father, like, he doesn't just sit there on his chair and say, wait, come and grovel and beg for your position back. The father runs out to meet him. He's so excited to see the son coming home that he, he tucks his robe and his, his belt and he starts running. Jewish people did not run in that culture. That was not a thing. That was, that was offensive. That was undignified. And the father starts running, his beard blowing in the wind, whatever, whatever I picture a Jewish father looking like with his... Anyway, the father goes out and runs. The son starts saying his story. I'm not worthy. I've sinned. And the father cuts him off mid-sentence. Says, don't say another word. Go, go get the robe. Go get the shoes. Put the ring back on his finger. This is my son who's returning. And he embraces him. And instead of being angry, the father embraces him and throws a party. Can you imagine that? The, the guy that just blew through half of my money and it's no longer in existence. I don't have that money. I'm going to throw a party for him when he comes home. And the older brother hears the party. What's this all about? I'm out in the field working and I, I hear this sound. What's going on? The servants say, oh, your brother came home. Dad had a party. He wasn't that happy about it. Come on, this is, talk about a classic picture of someone being offended in scripture. This is what Jesus says in Luke 15, 28, says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. Think about this for a second. Not just, I'm a little ticked off at my brother, I'm mad. The father came out and begged him, please come in the house. Under Jewish culture, uh, the older son, who was the one left at home, the younger son had taken all his inheritance, the older son had the same status now as the father. He was helping to run the family business. Culturally, the older son should have actually been co-hosting the party with the father. And the father came out and begged him, please come in, your brother's home. And he wouldn't go in. It says, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never even gave me one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes, not my brother, this son of yours, when your son of yours comes back after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Can I tell you those seeds of offense that were planted all the way back then? They're in full bloom now. And it's hindering him from enjoying the relationships that he's supposed to have in Father's house. He says, you never celebrated my faithfulness. I towed the line. I stayed. I did everything you told me to. Have we ever had this talk with God? I, I did everything. Like, how could that person be blessed? Because they lived this way, but I never did anything wrong. Man. Can we not be the older son? I even, I even, as I was reading through the story, you know what? I feel like the older brother, I think they knew where the son was and what was going on. The older brother could have gone to get this, the younger brother. Like, man, you've really messed up your life. I'm, I'm gonna, I feel so bad. I'm going to come get you out of the pig pen and bring you home. And he didn't do that. I think the older brother is sitting at home good for him. You're getting exactly what you deserve, buddy, sitting there in the pig pen. The father tells him, you could have had a party at any time because everything I have is yours now. All you had to do was ask. All you had to do was say, can we do this right now? 
and the son wouldn't do it, offense caused him to miss out on the joys of life and the relationships he was supposed to have. I I would like to tell you that there's a happy ending in this story of the older brother right here in Scripture. But there's there's not. He was outside sulking and fuming, and the, the father's still trying to tell him, hey, my son was gone, now he's home, he's alive, he was dead, now he's alive. We should celebrate. This is a reason to have a party. And the older brother just stewed in it. This is what I would like us to do especially this Easter time and the season that's coming up, uh, I think this should be an easy action item. Listen to someone. Can we do that? Especially when I say listen to someone, I don't mean just go home with the people you always hang out with and talk about some stuff. Find someone that is different. Find someone that would maybe be in that notorious sinner category and actually take some time to listen. And to say, hey, I I just want to know who you are. I just want to hear your story. I I just want to see what Jesus sees when he looks at you. Invite them to come with you. Whether it's to Easter service or maybe just to a life group. We're going to start a new round of groups after Easter. That would be a great opportunity just to invite someone on a less threatening terms than Sunday morning where everybody's staring at them. Maybe just invite them to come to your home and say, hey, I just, just want to build a relationship. I just want to get to know you, care about you. want to hear how, how did you end up with those views. Maybe that's a conversation starter that you'd never thought to use before. That's it. I would, I would love to say that there's something huge that, oh, Jesus, we'll do this for you this morning and it'll, everything will be great and we'll see a huge revival. I think it starts with little things. And maybe a little thing is find somebody that's different and just listen to them and just value them. You know, I was sitting there thinking um, when you were talking about the brothers, the words that dropped in my spirit were favorite, the, the favorites. And I just feel like we need to just respond to that because what I was hearing is that we're all his favorite. And, you know, maybe you've struggled somewhere in your life. If there's anyone in the room with that, you know, thought that, wow, dad likes them best. Mom likes them best. Or, you know, God likes them better. Like, I really feel like God wants to remind us that he is such a good father There wasn't a favorite son. There were two sons. The man had two sons in the story. God's got so many sons and daughters. Look at somebody next to you and say, yeah, you are his favorite. And so am I. And so am I. I mean, because really when we know that, it changes something about how we love and are loved. And so I just want to pray for that for a minute before we, before we wrap, okay? So God, right now, we just thank you. We just say again that you are a good father. Yeah, you are the best dad in the whole wide world. <laughs> and Lord, where we have felt that 
you've loved others more than us or that somebody else was favored over us. Someone had your attention more than me or more than I did or someone meant more to you where you gave them more and you did something bigger or better. You wanted to be with them. God, wherever any of those thoughts have come in to anyone in the room right now, God, we just say, remind us of the goodness of you, good Father. Yeah. That we are all your favorites. And we just thank you, Lord, for even just the work that you do right now in any aspect, whether that's individuals or families people groups in every way. God, we are all your favorite. You so loved the whole world. You so loved each and every one of us. Even as we heard during worship, we are the joy that was set before you. Each one of us so precious and valuable. Yeah. So where there have been walls of whatever that is, offense, bitterness, rejection, abandonment in any capacity, less than, not as much as. I thank you, Father. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for the work that you do today to remind us that each of us is your favorite. Yeah. And we can tell one another that and celebrate. Get in on the party. Yeah. Get in on the parties as we rejoice with you and all of us, sons and daughters that come to you. Yeah. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand in this place. If, if you're here in this room this morning or you're, you're watching online and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, I just want to springboard off of that and tell you that God has his picture on your fridge or in his fridge. Ever see that? You put up pictures of your kids, your grandkids, the people that are important and special to you. I, I just, there's a refrigerator in heaven that has your picture on it that God looks at and says, you're my favorite. And if you've never realized that, if, you, if you've never started that relationship with him to say, I want to know what it looks like to have a good, good father, this is a great day to do it. And it's as, it's as simple as saying, Lord Jesus, I believe that what you did on the cross was for me that you died for me and that you walked out of that tomb three days later, raised to life. And God, I just want to give you whatever is going on in my life, my whole self, I give it to you and I receive your life in exchange for it. And in that moment, he comes, the scripture says in John, Jesus says, if you believe the father and I, he says, we'll come and make our home with you. What a thought. We become the very home of God that he moves in right here in our lives. The the places that we would think don't have any value that we want to get rid of them, throw them. He comes and makes his home with us. And if you think you need to do that for the first time this morning, and uh, if you're in this room, please come tell one of us afterwards. We'd love to hear that and celebrate with you. If you're watching online, send us a note and let us know you did that. But God, we, we come before you even before we leave this place. Just thinking about what it means to live a life that is unoffendable. God, continue to to deal with us, to to help us to grow, to help us to mature, to let go of those things we need to let go of, Uh, even these last few weeks as we've talked about it. Lord, we want our lives to be a reflection of you. We want your goodness to flow through us, not, not our hurts or our bitterness or our offenses to be seen, 
but the character and nature of Jesus to be seen by those around us. God, bless us indeed, even as we go from this place today. Let your goodness continue to pursue our lives and fill us. Let your glory be seen (laughs) through our lives. Uh, I just just want to remind you as we were singing that this morning, show us your glory. You know how he does that? Why don't you turn around and look at the people right next to you. In that moment, he's showing you his glory because he lives right here in people. And when we live our lives in such a way that people see Jesus, it gives him glory. So Lord, let our lives do that. <laughs> let us be carriers of your glory that the people around us see you through us. We just honor you. We give you glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for meeting with us this morning. Continue to be present at all times in our lives in real and tangible ways. In Jesus' name, amen.